Okay. Anybody else here hungry for fried rice now? We were setting these out earlier. Somebody said, we were joking, somebody's going to come in. What am I going to do for dinner after church? And they're like, huh? Now I know. Right now I know. I, I was thinking this week, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. Just give, give, give me a few minutes. I was, so I was thinking about this sermon. The, the, one of the great questions that we face every week in the kitchen is, can I fit all the food that's in this pot on the stove in the piece of Tupperware that I have chosen? Right? You're with me? Right? Is it just me? I'm a little compa- You've, We've all been in the place where we, we get, we've stuffed as much in the Tupperware as we can, and there's like two spoonfuls left over. Right? And this creates a moral dilemma for us. Am I going to throw it away? Am I going to eat it? Do I dare dirty a second dish? Do I dare? And then for me, I can never find the right top to fit the Tupperware in the first place to begin with. I'm just, somebody should come up with a better plan. But we've all stood there. And then you think, the last time you got takeout, the amount of rice that came out of this little box, right? how do they fit that much food into this little container? And can I call that person now to help me with my own dilemma with me trying to fit this food in the Tupperware? I was watching a commercial the other day on television, and they've got the new video app when you're doing home repair. Have you seen that? It's like the, the commercial, the, the, the person is trying to fix their toilet, and they video chat with someone, and it shows them how to do that. They, they, right, they should have that for this dilemma for the kitchen, which I'm, I need to video someone and say, here's my Tupperware drawer, and I need you to help me to pick which one out. So clearly, I don't do enough cooking in my house to know otherwise. Why am I telling you all of that? Because this is how too many people live their lives right here, is that we try to fit as much activity into every day, our whole lives, as humanly possible. There's times where we feel guilty if I don't get one more thing into the box of my day. There's times where you, you, you feel angst because you've not done enough. There's times where you're holding your, the box of your day and there's something inside of you that is just driven to do more and more and more and more. And, and what I would like to suggest to you in this little two-part series is that life is a lot less about how much you can fit into your day and it's more about what God is trying to fit into you. Life is a lot less about what you're trying to fit into your day and more about what God is trying to fit into you. And I would argue that the more you try to stuff into your day, the less room that is in you for the character of Christ that he's trying to form in us. The more we try to stuff in our day, the more distracted we are, the more exhausted we are, the, the, the more irritable that we become, we become. We talked about that last week. The busyness and the hurriedness of life, especially in American culture, is one of the greatest enemies of the character of Christ. And so this year, we try to teach on this every single year to combat the cultural norm of hurriedness. Make room for the character of Christ in your life by slowing down and learning how to live with the rhythm that Scripture teaches us. Last week, I introduced you to this verse in Hebrews 4.9, this, this little verse that just pops right into this great chapter in the Bible. And in this, in this verse, the writer of Hebrews makes up a word that did not exist before. 
The, the, the original text of the Bible was written in Greek, and there was not a Greek word that would articulate the sentiment and this feeling that the writer of Hebrews felt like the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to say. It says, so there is a special rest, and that word rest in the Greek is sabbatismos. And again, once, once it went down, it came into the world for the first time because it's trying to teach us something that's new and that is distinct and different. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Now, last week, again, this is just a little quick recap if you weren't here. I believe that what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that there are four distinct kinds of rest. And if you do not have all four of them present in your life, then sabbatismos is just beyond your reach. But as you begin to experience each of the four, then this special rest that the writer of Hebrews says begins to come into your life. Here are the four kinds of rest. You can download these notes every week, the following week after we post them, and then the scripture references will always be there if you're a note taker. There is paternal rest. This is the rest that comes from knowing God as your father, which we just talked about in our welcome home moment. There is a purpose rest. This is the rest that comes from having some sense of understanding what it is that God wants you to do with your time and your talent and your resources. There's perpetual rest. Again, what we talked about in our welcome home moment. There is a restfulness in your soul when you know what's waiting for you after you die. And then, which is the focus of this little two-week mini-series, there is physical rest. This one day that is supposed to be set aside every seven days to give rest to our physical bodies. There has been far too much teaching in the Christian church throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, that argue that because we have the first three, we no longer need the last one. That's, and I would say to you, that's, a pro, that's problematic. I would say it's not healthy. And I would say to you, it's one of the reasons why churches have become a place where Families are fractured where they're supposed to come to be built. And we want to change that here at City Life Church. So what did Jesus have to say about the Sabbath? He had a lot to say. And we're going to drop in to this one sermon that he taught. Beginning in Mark 2, I'm going to start reading in 23. I'm going to read all the way to 3.6. I want to read a chunk because this idea of Sabbath and combating what the cultural norm was of his day was one of the, the I would say is probably one of the top three points of controversy that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. And I think if Jesus dropped into the American church today, he'd be just as irritated with us as he was with them 2,000 years ago. It says, one Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees, who were religious leaders, they were the experts of, Christ, of, of Judaism, Christianity didn't exist yet, said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus says to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was the high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, this, this is important, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Let me read that again. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. That's his way of saying, I'm in control. My words are true. 
Jesus went into the synagogue and again noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. See, our Bibles are broken up into chapter and verse, and sometimes we lose the flow of the story. This isn't on a separate day. This is immediately following this conversation. He's challenging their point of view, and then he goes immediately into the synagogue, and he sees this man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. It's powerful. At once the Pharisees went, right? It doesn't say they celebrated with this man. Can you imagine the feeling of this man, this deformity that he probably had since birth? Even as he stretched it out, Jesus healed him. You... How were the religious leaders in that moment not in awe of the grace and the mercy that was bestowed upon that man? But it says that once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they might kill Jesus. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that when Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. He's not saying to us that you can choose whether or not you want to keep the Sabbath, and if you choose not to have it, your life will be consequence-free. Right? I think what Jesus is saying there is he's reminding us not just the Sabbath, but all of the principles and the truth and the wisdom that we find in Scripture. He's saying, hey, you have a choice. God created you with free will as to whether or not you want to embrace the wisdom of this book. It's, it's your choice. But if we choose to turn our back on the wisdom, there will be consequences that come. Not, not by virtue of punishment necessarily, but because we've chosen to reject the plan that God has for us. And so we live outside the grace and the mercy that he intends us to have. When, when we think about this idea of gifts, this is part of what's hard for us, again, in American culture. It's difficult for us to think that when something is called a gift, that there will be consequences if I don't accept it. If I were to give you a gift, and it were to be a gift that you don't like, and you would respectfully decline that gift, or you would actually do what most people do, we re-gift it, right? We give it to someone else. Right? You, you would say that it would be unjust for me to, to be upset or to persecute you or punish you or give you consequence because you didn't like the gift. You would say, for that's not the nature of what gifts are. So we take this American concept of gift giving and then we overlay it into our relationship with God and it gets us into trouble. Salvation, we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, is a gift. But we understand there are eternal consequences if we reject that gift. The nature of our relationship with God when it comes to gift giving is different than our relationship with people when it comes to gift giving. I want every gift that God has for me. 
I, I want to live my life open-handed with every gift that he would offer. Not just with the Sabbath, but everything that he wants to teach me about this book, about the life that I'm supposed to live, is a gift that he has given to me. The boundaries that he gives are not to restrain us, but come on, they're to help us find the liberty that he so lovingly wants us to find. So 2,000 years ago and centuries back before that, the religious leaders, based on their understanding of the Mosaic Law, their broken understanding of the Mosaic Law, the Sabbath no longer was something that brought liberty, but it brought a burden. Listen to these thoughts. This is looking in to the history of Sabbath keeping. We find that the Jewish Talmud specified 30 main categories of work prohibited on the Sabbath day. The Talmud is like commentary by religious Jewish religious scholars on the do's and don'ts of how they understand the Mosaic Law. Writing more than one letter of the alphabet was prohibited. Practicing medicine was not allowed. Listen to this. Unless life was in danger. Now this is real. Hence, a person with a toothache could rinse their mouth with vinegar on the Sabbath as long as they swallowed the vinegar because that was considered eating. But if they spit it out, that would be practicing medicine. Right? They had all of these, right, hundreds and hundreds of rules that they had to keep track of because the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. They, they heaped on all of these guidelines and rules that God never intended. Vanessa and I were watching HGTV a few years back. It's one of our, our favorite shows, the, right? Now they've got so many, right? We like, to, we like to dream about the places you want to go. Like one day, just you don't want to, do, you not want to buy an island? You're like, who can afford to buy an island, Right? Not us, but we still like to pretend that one day we will. But there was a strict Jewish family that had bought this house, and they talked about how they needed a light, light timers installed in all the rooms because they weren't allowed to operate a light switch on the Sabbath. Right? And you're like, this is not what God intended for us for the day of rest. It's supposed to be a gift, and it's supposed to bring liberty. But it's not the kind of gift that I want to too quickly say, it's not for me. Somebody say rest attitude. See, I, I think because of our cultural norms, we've lost some sense of the sacredness of what Sabbath is. Let, let me, let, let me, let me, I'm gonna skip this next slide. Let's let's say, let's say that we were gonna hire a new pastor. And 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 we brought that person into the church, and when we introduced that person to you we begin to tell you some things about their life to to help you get to know them. Now, let me read this list to you. What if we said this new pastor, they're a great person, but they worship other gods and they actively participate in other religions? Some of you right there would be, I'm out, right? Why would that person be hired as a spiritual leader here? What if we said they made idols in their garage, prayed to them, sold them, worshiped them, and encouraged other people to do so as well? What if we said they, they spoke with profanity often, especially using God and Jesus as curse words? What if we kept going and we said they speak disrespectfully to their parents and speak of them publicly in derogatory ways? What if we said they openly endorsed murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate? What if we said they practice an open marriage relationship with their spouse? 
What if he told you that they believe that dishonesty for personal gain is just a natural part of life? What if we told you that they believe that giving false testimony was okay because most people are guilty of something? And finally, what if we said that they believe that envying your neighbor's possessions is a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff? You would say, yeah, I don't think City Life Church is for me. What if, what if they just had one of those that was a regular part of their life? I think if it were, if it were me, I would say I w- that would be suspect. That person should not be a spiritual. Where, where did I get those nine things from? They're from the what? Yes, they're from how many? How many commandments? Yes, there are 10. But what if I introduced that person to you and then you came to find out they don't practice a weekly Sabbath, right? They're just, they're really busy, but they're doing good things. Would you have pause? It's interesting, isn't it? Has, has cultural norms taken something that God intended to be, to be sacred, and yet we have made it common? If, if, if the idea of not keeping a Sabbath doesn't draw out of me some concern in the same way that the other nine do, the question we should ask ourselves is, why is that? And, and my argument towards that is because of cultural norms and because churches have done a really poor job of modeling and teaching what it looks like to live according to a biblical Sabbath and the routine of rest. We, we want to be a church that helps people rediscover the sacredness of rest. We want to be a church that reintroduces conviction, that little feeling in your heart when something is missing or that feeling in your heart when something is present that shouldn't be. We want to be the kind of church that, that, that causes conviction in your heart to rise up if you're withholding from yourself the Sabbath. It's not an accident that Jesus made it part of the Big Ten. It's not an accident that Jesus, because he knew the inclination of humanity was going to be to drift from all of these. And I think it's fascinating that he said, right, he, there's all kinds of wisdom in Scripture, but there's 10 that he really dialed in on and said, hey, I, you really got to keep track of these. Isn't it interesting that rest was one of those? I think God's trying to teach us something about this practice and how sacred it's supposed to be to us. Look at this verse together in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. This is Moses writing. He says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day, seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you, right? Even your pets. Come on. Need a Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. I love it. Even when the world was perfect, before Adam and Eve committed the very first sin, you know what was there? The Sabbath. When there wasn't even a need yet for the other nine commandments, the first one was present in the beginning. Shabbat is the Hebrew word, right? New Testament originally written in Greek, 
Old Testament originally written in Hebrew. Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. It means to repose. That is to desist from exertion. It means to cease. It means to celebrate, which means that resting isn't necessarily sedentary. We're going to get to that. It means to leave, to put away, or to put down. It means to make, to rest. It means to rid, to steal, still to take away. This is an important definition for us. The word kadash, the language of the Bible is instructive. The word kadash, which translates holy, it means to be clean, ceremonially or morally. It means to appoint, bid, consecrate, dedicate. It means hallowed. It means holy. It means prepare or proclaim or purify or sanctify. We understand this word. It means that it's different from other things. And then one of my favorite Hebrew words is nuach. To rest, to be at rest, to settle down, to stay, to dwell. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. How many of you need a day in your life, every seven days, that could be described by words like comfortable, convenient, and easygoing? So let's put that verse back up, and let me read it by inserting some of these Hebrew words, and maybe you'll hear it in a different way. Remember to observe the Shabbat by keeping it kadash. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, or any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, nuach, comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. That is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat and set it apart as Kadash. That seventh day means something to him. That seventh day is a gift that he gave to himself. When we read the creation story, I think we often forget that one of the things that he created was a day of rest. We re, right, we, when we talk about that to our kids, we talk about how he made the land and the sea and the animals, right? all these incredible storybooks, but are we stopping to take the time to help our children to understand? But he, he made something else on that day too. Not, not something that you can look out the window and see with your eyes like all the other things that are part of the creation story, but he made something called rest. Not just any kind of rest, but he made something called a Sabbath rest, a day, a gift to you and to me. I love this quote by Karl Barth, one of the great theological minds of our day. It says, let things take their course. With particular freedom distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings. Here it comes. The day should be free from compulsion. If there's two phrases that you should take away about this idea of Sabbath, comfortable, convenient, easygoing, and then add this last one, it should be a day that is free from compulsion, meaning that that thing inside of you every other day that causes you to try to pack in as much as you can, this, this compulsion to do, to, to, to act, God's saying you you got to set that thing aside for a day. you got to learn how to turn that off. These are the 
eight steps that we teach every year. We try to teach this message. It's one of the lost practices of Christianity. If this idea of Sabbath is brand new for you, the, the first place that you should start is just in a place of prayer. Right? This list, I want to work through it, is in a place of prayer. Is, is when you hear something for the first time, maybe verses read in a different way or things explained in a way that's new for you, then you have a conversation with God about it. Say, God, I, I don't know if Fred's right about those things. Maybe if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't even know how that would be possible when I think about how much stuff I can stuff into my box every day. What, what would I possibly get rid of, right? If we're not careful, we'll talk ourselves out of it even before we start getting into it. Just, just be willing to say, God, is this something that you're trying to speak to me about? Just be willing to have a conversation with your creator and that trust by the Holy Spirit, he can intersect your lives in ways that are undeniably him, and he'll speak to you, and he'll begin to show you the way. Invest. If you're going to embrace this idea of a weekly Sabbath, I hope you operate off of a budget. That's a sermon on stewardship for another day and another time. But there should be money that you have apportioned, that you have set aside for your rest. Because again, rest is not necessarily being sedentary. It might be going to a museum with your family. For us, boating is a big part of the way that we Sabbath. It might be going to breakfast together. Maybe you're into camping, right? And you buy a tent, right? There, there should be, you should budget. There should be money that you have set aside so that you can invest in your rest. It could be hobbies, <coughs> motorcycles, just saying. Thank you. Better cigars. Better. If you got them at 7-Eleven, they're not actually. I'm just saying. doesn't count. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Donald. If you're going to dip your toe in this water of, of this idea of Sabbath, you're, you're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to. We live in a society that has abandoned even Christian culture has lost its understanding of it, right? You, 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 you've got you, you, to set some hard boundaries that you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to let your routine slip back into what it was. You, you, you've got to be willing to make some decisions that we're, that we're that this is going to be, I try to tell people, I'm going to get into this when we talk about being, being flexible. All right, that's the next one, flexibility. Is, is, is if, you, if you don't do any type of weekly Sabbath, my encouragement to you is do not try to start right out of the gate with a 24-hour cycle of rest. Don't, don't do it. Just, I, I tell people just do a half day. Just, just begin to experiment. It's okay to work your way into the rhythms that God has for you, right? And it's, I would say just set aside a half day. If, if you decide, as a family, right, we're going to set aside on this particular, whatever particular day it is. We talked about that last week. God, I don't think it matters to God what day it is. You, you say we're, the first half of this day is going to be a day. Once you establish that, it will be like that is an international conspiracy to displace that commitment that you make for yourself. You'd be like, I have unleashed hell on myself, right? But you can win. You can stand firm. 
temptation comes. God doesn't allow that to come in because he's trying to shame us or destroy us. It makes us stronger. You've got to be prepared. We're going to protect it. We're going to guard against it. Flexibility. Your Sabbath, based on your work schedule, if you're married and you've got kids, it, it might be that your, your day's got to move around sometimes. Once you get to the point where you're practicing a 24-hour cycle, maybe, it's, maybe it starts at dinner one night and goes to dinner the next. It doesn't have to necessarily be a calendar day. But at some point, you should be able to find a rhythm and a routine where there, over a year's time, you've been able to have a day of rest, even if it moves around every seven days. Be flexible. If you're married, if you have children, gentlemen, do not wake up tomorrow morning and say to your wife, before she's even awake, I'll be back tonight. I'm going to go Sabbath by myself. Could we, this is right. Do we believe that sometimes you need time alone? Sure you do. Depending on your personality, sometimes do you need some alone time? Yes, you do. But you got to work that out as part of the plan, right? That's got to be a communication that you have that you figure out, your rhythm within your rest. If your kids are really little, then I would say is Sabbath is one of God's great gift for parenting because it allows you to immerse yourself into the lives of your children 24 hours once every week because the world is immersing themselves in the life of your child. Are you? So you got to find what works for you. We've been practicing a weekly Sabbath before our children were born. Derek was born in 2000, and I want to say we just, in the late 90s, we, we began to, to, to discover this idea of, of, of a modern-day practice of Sabbath that's part of the New Testament wisdom, and it, it revolutionized our life, and we've been doing it ever since. Our kids don't know a way of life model for them that does not involve a weekly Sabbath. It's a gift to your family. You've got to learn from others. If this is all brand new for you, then talk to some people. People that have been going to this church for several, I would say five years or more, they, they, they've heard this teaching again every year, and it's begun to revolutionize their life. They'll tell you, Finding if, if someone says that, asking people, how long have you been coming? If they've been coming for several years, you should ask them, tell me what it's been like for you to begin to practice these things. Pick their brain. Take them out for coffee. How did you do this? How did you figure this out? you got to give yourself grace. This is important. There is a real chemical addiction that your brain has to adrenaline and other endorphins that come from packing as much activity as you can into your day. You might not know this, but you can become an addict to the chemicals that your brain produces through the busyness that you have pursued. And when you step back from that, right, when you step back from that, then you, you, when you, the, if, if you're one of these people that's a hard driver, the first time that you do a Sabbath for a 24 hour cycle, you're going to say, Fred was lying to me. I am irritable, depressed, frustrated. Yeah, you're going through withdrawal. And it's real. It's real. Read, read any reputable source out there. 
and on brain chemistry, it will tell you that your, 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 your body gets so used, it's, it's lost its desire for these other things that your brain will produce if you give it chance that comes from detachment and rest and rejuvenation. You've got to give yourself some grace. It's going to take some time to shift gears, depending on how driven, depending on how much you can fit into the box of your life. And the last thing is this, is the greatest measure of whether or not you've done it right, once you settle into the routine, once you get through the withdrawal part, the chemical imbalance part, once you get past that, the greatest measure is are you rested the next day? That's what matters. Do you come into the next day feeling rested and rejuvenated? Some people like to rest by, be sedent by being sedentary. That's me. I could do nothing the whole day. Vanessa, she's, she's an active rester. She'd rather do things. She would rather go on a bike ride or, or garden, things that she can just choose to do if she wants them. Right? When we began to put this practice in our life, it, it got us more organized on the other six days because our day of rest was often the catch-all day for everything that we didn't get done the other six days. That's not a real Sabbath. So maybe we got an extra load of laundry in the night before. Maybe we, we stayed up an extra hour to get this one thing done. So when we stepped into our Sabbath, it could be a day that was truly free from compulsion, that we got to do things that we wanted to do whether you're sedentary or whether you're active. And if, if, and if in your marriage you're one and not the other, then you, you, right, you got to meet each other in the middle just like with everything else. you got to find some compromise. But the next day when you wake up, there should be this sense of, I feel so rejuvenated. And God wants you to have that gift every single week. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I've been reading this excerpt to this church every year since we came here in 2007. Checking the box tonight. It says, some time ago, this is by John Ortberg, great author, The Life You've Always Wanted, phenomenal book. Some time ago, I was giving a bath to our three children. I had a custom of bathing them together more to save time than anything else. This is great. This is such a dad thought. I knew eventually I would have to stop the group bathing. But for the time being, it was incredibly efficient. Johnny was still in the tub, and Laura was out and safely in her pajamas, and I was trying to get Mallory dried off. Mallory was out of the water, but doing what has come to be known in our family as the D-Da-Day dance. This consists of her running around and around in circles, singing over and over and over again, D-Da-Day, D-Da-Day, D-Da-Day. It's a relatively simple dance, expressing great joy. When she's too happy to hold it in any longer, when words are inadequate to give voice to her euphoria, she has to dance to release her joy, so she does the D-Da-Da. On this particular occasion, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry! I prodded, so she did. She began running in circles faster and faster. Chanting D-Da-Day faster and more frequently. No, Mallory, that's not what I meant. Stop with the D-Da-Day stuff and get over here so I can dry you off. Hurry up. And then she stopped and she looked at me and she asked this profound question. Why? I had no answer. I had nowhere to go, nothing to do, 
no meetings to attend, no sermons to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with my own little agenda, so trapped in this rut of moving from one task to another, that here was life. Here was joy. Here was an invitation to dance right in front of me, and I was missing it. So I got up, and Mallory and I, we did the D-Dot Day Dance together. And she said I was pretty good, too, for a man my age. Oh, it's good. Stand with me. How are you living your life? This little box when you came in was fried rice, but maybe now it means something really different to you. It's a reminder that one day out of seven, we're supposed to get the end of the day and maybe there's just nothing in it at all. And we've made room to breathe a little deeper, to talk a little longer, to nap a little bit more frequently, to have conversations with God a little bit more deeply. So I'm going to pray in a minute, and then we're going to close with a song, and I'm going to encourage some of you. We like to challenge you to be conspicuous here at church, to take a step, to do something. Some of you need to take one of these boxes home with you. For some of you, it needs to be on your desk in your office. For some of you, it needs to be by your bedstand. For for some of you, you need to tape it right to the refrigerator. Maybe it needs to go in the cup holder of your car so that for the next few weeks, every time you look at it, you're going to remember these things that we talked about tonight. To ask yourself the question, do do I have a Dida day? At least one out of every seven. So, Father, we say, open our hearts to the wisdom of your word. Open our hearts to a new rhythm for life. Help us to remember. Help us to remember that life really just isn't in the end about how much more we can fit into it, but it's about how much of the character of Christ that you can fit into us. May it be that we would make room, especially through our rest. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together. As we worship, if you want one of these, you come, you take it home.